Hey, everybody. Welcome back to episode 11 of Sword and Spirit, a podcast by First Baptist Church of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Today we have a very special interview for you guys. Uh, We're going to be hearing about James and Christy and their testimony uh, serving overseas doing mission work in South Asia. Welcome back, friends. We're glad you're here. We have a very special guest with us today, one of our dear, dear brothers uh, in the Lord, Mr. James uh, and his bride, Christy, who served the Lord in South Asia. And so, James, what's up? Well, uh, you wish Christy was actually with us here today. Um, she's a lot more entertaining than I am, but uh, I may disagree with that. Oh well, well, we're just we're just a lot different. But those yeah. of you who didn't know Christy, you know she's uh, very the life of the party all the time. Uh, so, yeah. But yeah, so not much. We are just uh, here in Mississippi, uh, New Orleans, just here because of covid like a lot of the stuff going on and so uh we were forced to leave our country at the end of july Mm. and come back and just wait until things kind of opened up a little more in our country and uh until we've just been working full time we haven't slowed down we've been working full time doing stuff online with people in asia as well as uh trying to mobilize more and more of the sbc churches the southern baptist churches uh, around this area so it's a different world you're serving overseas from here that's right it's it, everyone's gotten used to this distance learning and distance working and we are no different so but we are always blessed when we're able to come back here to mississippi and and our home church here and just you know, see see people, see family, see friends, and just encourage people however we can. Well, I, I know all of us, when we see you guys, it's just like uh, spiritual Gatorade. You know, we see you, <laughs> we know what you stand for, and we know uh, your passion for the Lord and for to reach people with the gospel. So what was it like when you were serving over there, overseas, and the world just freezes? And did you know immediately that you were going to have to come home? What did that look like? Did they say you have to pack your bags now, or was it kind of a slow process? It was really um, a different process. I think, you know, even here in the United States, uh, people knew, you know, as March started happening, that this was not normal. And But I think it probably hit us a little slower than normal because I know the first, like we were away out of the country in meetings in another part of Asia when, uh, you know, it became more and more in late February uh, public that this thing was spreading. This thing was maybe a little more serious than people were, were, were thinking at first. And, you know, we were still thinking, okay, will this, how will this affect us in a month? How will this affect us in two months? And we, you know, we had some people who are, you know, it's, they're like that everywhere, pretty over, pretty overreactionary. And they're like, oh, no, we need to prepare for three years, like buy a bunch of beans and and uh, and canned goods so that we can be prepared for the apocalypse. And right. we're like, no, 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 it surely will not be that bad. And uh, so we got back from our meetings. And I think the reality hit me what in um the second week of March when I was out of the country and my family was back in the country Mm -hmm. and I almost didn't get back into my, our country of service. Um, like it took me arguing in a nice way, a culturally appropriate way with some Arabic, uh, airline personnel to that. No, I was going to be allowed to go back into my country of service. Um, because they weren't going to let me. And I was like, my, my wife is going to kill me (laughs) if I cannot, if I'm away at a meeting and she, and, uh, and then I'm not let back in. So after that, it was still took about two weeks before 
you know, the whole world shut down at the end of March. And we had a lot of people, not with our organization necessarily, but with other organizations, Americans serving over there who did uh, just get whatever flights they could kind of like, <laughs> we got to get out of here. Uh, you know, people that a lot of college age students who were just over there serving for a few months, they were like, we got to get out. But you know, even when we locked down and lockdown looked a lot different over there, mm. even when we locked down, we were thinking, okay, surely March, April, right. maybe May, but then we weren't thinking, no, it's still going to be locked down in the fall. And so, um, yeah, it was a, it was a shocker for us. Even, those of us who work overseas who are used to, you know, a lot of red tape, a lot mm -hmm. of delays, a lot of inefficient systems and airlines and all this, we, it was a shock to us. But so we did not know we were going to have to leave because we had just entered the country and we're allowed to stay, you know, six months at a time before we have to leave. And, and we were like, surely in six months, this will all be fine, but it was not. And so that's why, uh, yeah, at the end of July, we were like, we got to get out. And nowhere else to go for Americans mm -hmm. except back to America because no other countries were taking us. So if you're hearing this and you've had a terrible year, it, you could have been stuck in Asia. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about lockdown. Uh, lockdown over there meant you right. don't go outside your house. Mm. Uh, and if you go outside the house like to buy groceries, which was one person could do that, not the whole family, uh, then you have to wear a mask or else you're going to get arrested. And so, so oh, wow. it was, and our son being under 10, he was not allowed to leave our house for four months. He did not leave our house. Mm. And so the only time he was really allowed to leave our house was when we were leaving the country. Wow. He was forgetting what it looked like outside. He told my wife, what do you do? You know, make them do push-ups and jumping jacks. And <laughs> well, luckily, uh, internet was working okay. and, and, um, so we were able to, you know, talk to people, talk to friends. We did our, we moved our church. Like we started doing church with our team who are located in various cities and various states and, and, uh, played a lot of board games, but this is the truth. Like we have a few favorite card games that we would play mm -hmm. and we, we wore those cards out. We mm -hmm. were just praying. Can the stores just open like for a day so we can go replace these these card decks? Because wow. a lot of family time. It was good though. It was good. We had great fellowship and you know a lot of time to spend with the Lord and a lot of books to read and things to do with the kids. Wow. Well, time you'll never forget. That's, that's right. For sure. <laughs> so James, you know <clears throat> you uh, you know Christy is is like you said earlier. She's the life of the party, and so she she brings the pizzazz a lot of times to everything you're doing. Uh, but you know, maybe our people don't realize, you know, what God was doing in you years ago, just like in her life, you mm -hmm, know, raising mm -hmm. her up from a young age to walk with the Lord and to, to stand up for him and to love people and to, to be bold in sharing her faith. You know, tell us a little bit about your call to ministry and, you know, what that looks like, where you came from. Yeah. Well, I was raised in a like very nominal, if you call it that I would, you know, at times, and even now probably call it a non-Christian family. Um, my mom was raised Roman Catholic, but we had moved to an area where there were no Catholics and in the Bible built after my dad left the Navy. And so we didn't go to church after that, a Catholic church. And then, you know, my dad had made a profession of faith when he was a teenager, but then had gone and served in Vietnam and served in the military and gotten really discouraged by a lot of hypocrisy that he saw in, in the church and in his own family. So we weren't raised like with, I didn't know 
about the gospel until I was in the sixth grade. When my dad did retire from the military, we moved to the Bible Belt. And uh, I, at that, like, I think sixth or seventh grade, so we lived way out in the sticks. Like, we didn't, we live in a, I went to high school in a small town, but that small town was 15 miles from us. We lived out in the country. And so uh, just a friend of mine from the school bus invited me to a revival that was going on at a church six miles from our house. So I went to it, and that was the first time I had ever heard the gospel. Like I had never heard Jesus died for your sins. You need to ask forgiveness. You need to have a relationship with him. And so I honestly did not make a profession of faith at that point because this was a whole different worldview. Like this blew my mind. And so I continued going to the church mainly because um, there were kids there. Like there were Mm -hmm. people my age there and I lived out in the middle of nowhere. And so I did that for years, four years, I would say until I was in high school and the Lord really uh, drew me to himself. Just you, you have to make, you have at some point, James, you got to, you know, make a decision. And so I made that decision uh, in the 10th grade in 1992, was baptized in summer of, uh, or Easter 1992 is when I was baptized. And so, yeah, after that, my pastor at the time being bivocational, super small church, but Mm -hmm. he was like, he was always pushing us in the youth group, like all five of us, like to, you know, do mission trips. So we went to Mexico, we came to South Louisiana and did hurricane relief. We did vacation Bible schools all over uh, the Southwest and the South. And uh, so it was at that point, we were just used to serving. Even before I was a believer, I was doing some of that, those mission trips, but we were just used to serving. And so um, it's really been awesome in the, you know, I'll, age myself here in the like 35 years that since then or whatever that um that just to see the way the lord has has you know used these five youth or whatever that yeah we're just compelled to do whatever you can praise god for that pastor yeah and you know he's about to retire at the end of this Mm. year he's in his 60s but he's retiring so he can do more of the the ministry that he wants to do he's retiring from the pastorate but um just I still didn't know about missions though. Like mm-hmm. I didn't like my impression of international missions was, you know, some old guy who used to be in Africa 20 years ago and now right. lives in, you know, wherever and will come and tell us, you know, funny stories or, or scary stories or something. Really strange yeah. outfit. Yeah. And so that was my impression of what missions was, but I knew even at the end of my high school, after I graduated, that's the time that I felt the Lord saying, James, at some point you're going to be used. Mm. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me that uh, after I graduated high school. I didn't know what to do with that. Right. I didn't have a lot of, you know, a big church, a youth minister, anything to to really guide me in that and nurture me. But, you know, the Lord was faithful and, and I knew he was pulling me. Uh, into ministry. So where'd you go to college? I went to college at uh, Northeastern Oklahoma State. So it's a pretty large regional school there in Oklahoma. And uh, I got hooked into the Baptist Student Union at Mm. the time. And that's really where my discipleship happened. You know, I love my pastor. He's like a second father to me, but he didn't have time with mm-hmm. everything going on to, you know, he, he nurtured me and he mentored me in different ways, but like to sit down and drill me with the word and, and, you know, talk about theology and all these different things. And so it was at the Baptist Student Union at my college that I really started getting discipled. And it was amazing. Uh, just like I, You're I like a sponge. 
whatever extra money a college student had at the time, I was uh, I was spending at the Christian bookstores in town just because I this was brand new stuff. And I'd go back to people, my BSU director and my pastor, and I'd be like, "Did you? What about this? Like, can you believe people think this?" And, and it was just man, God was growing me, and so it was it was providence definitely. Mm. I wasn't ready to know what God wanted me to do or to interpret what the Holy Spirit was telling me to do when I was a senior in high school. I wasn't ready. I just knew that I loved the Lord, that the Lord had put some kind of zeal within me. And then, uh, but, but I had zeal without knowledge kind of, I guess right. at, at that point. But at the end of college is when I first heard about like international missions and the journeyman program with the IMB. And, and that's when, you know, I was like, I can do that because mm-hmm. they're, they're, their offer was you don't have to be a missionary your whole life, but if you don't know what you're going to do after college, then yeah. just go, go Check for two years. Out. You don't have, if you don't have the debt and you don't have a family right now, just go. And that's what I did. Yeah, you were free just, as a bird. That's right. Sign me up. So How'd your family respond to that? Um, well, I, my family really struggled from, I would say before I was a Christian, in my desire to go and hang out at the church, right. my dad especially. And so um, I had fought that battle, I okay. think, even before I became a Christian. When I became a Christian in the 10th grade, my pastor and I went to my dad and said, James wants to be baptized. And my and my dad was like, well, if this, as long as this is his decision and, uh, and not someone talking him into it. I think that's the way he interpreted his profession of faith back when he was in, in high school was someone had talked him into it, mm-hmm. maybe his father or his grandfather. And so... Right. Um, yeah, as my dad was like, as long as it's his decision, he can be baptized. And so by the time I was serving overseas, my family was like, James is a different, he's a, he's from a different nut or whatever. It's still, it's a powerful witness though, to your parents that, you know, you, Hey mom, uh, I'm going to sign up to go on this thing. Um, because this is what God's called me to do mm-hmm. when you could, you know, at that point go do whatever, right. Yeah. And, and go find some job and to chase your dreams. I think that's a strong apologetic for, for mom and dad. And they'll never let us know, you know, the impact it has on them and the challenge it makes them ask those spiritual questions. Yeah. Like why are, you know, is this real? And why does he feel like this? Yeah. So, yeah. And I would say that after Christy and I met and we got married and we went through seminary and now we're serving back overseas again, that has been a great, a great witness to my father and my mother is mm-hmm. just, we can be normal people and we're not like hyper spiritual right. and like judging them for every quote unquote sin they yeah. do that because that really was my father, especially his impression of Christians is mm. I, if I smoke a cigarette, they're going to th- tell me I'm going to hell. Or if I drink a beer, right. they're going to tell me I'm going to hell. And, and it's like, right. that's not what he needs. He needs someone who will see him smoking a cigarette and, and still talk to him and love him and not just immediately judge him and telling him he's going to hell. Yeah. So yeah, that's been a great witness to my family. Um, and you know, my wife has a way with words so she can make friends with a rock. And so, um, and so she's really won my parents over as well. Mm. And just to show them that what real Christianity can look like. Right, right. Well, you can tell your dad that one of my mentors, one of the greatest pastors I've ever met, uh, would smoke about, you know, probably a pack or two a week. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well. <laughs> Loves the Lord, but, you know, we all have our, yeah. our struggles. So. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So uh, tell us a little bit. Obviously, this year has been different and crazy and fun. And, and, you know, you probably could write a book about it. But uh, tell us, you know, you just got some good news, yeah, right, recently. You want to tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, just this last week, you know, we've been waiting. You know, every month it's like 
you're still not going back. Your country is still not open. But we, yeah, we heard about five days ago that our country had actually activated our visas because they had suspended all of our visas. And so, uh, yeah, they activated them Thursday. It's still going to be a couple weeks to figure out logistics of how that's all going to look, especially with kids, especially since we live in a pretty small town. Mm. And so getting us... Well, you say small town. Yes. I mean... Uh, one and a half million people. Okay, yeah. Small for Asia. <laughs> a small Asian town of one and a half million. Um, half, the, half, you know, half the Mississippi's population. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that's... So, yeah, we're excited that it there's actually a, a light on the horizon that maybe in a month we'll be back. And so that's been our prayer. And honestly, the last three or four weeks, we were pretty discouraged thinking mm-hmm. this may be February or March before, you know, a lot of people get a vaccine and we can actually travel more freely. But we were excited that they were like just out of the blue. The country said, OK, we're reactivating this type of visa, which is what we have. Mm. So it's on now, right? Yeah, Everything's yeah. in motion. We're, we're working with logistics, trying to work, see when it will be. Well, I know those brothers and sisters there uh, in country are going to be so pumped oh, to see well, you. We are we're ready to get back. You know, we again we yeah. love being here and we love what the Lord's uh, done here, but we we are ready to get back. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Get back in your groove. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us when you get back. You know what uh, what. You know, two things really. What's what's your goal? What's your mission there? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've told us several times, just to remind in case someone's not familiar. Yeah. And then secondly, how can we pray for you guys? Yeah. Um, the our, we have kind of a two prong job. My wife and I do. Um, first of all, our job is to help new people coming over, and so uh, Christy and I. Uh, you know, we when you say new people, you yeah, mean like new Ameri- personnel, yeah, Americans, new missionaries coming over, okay. whether with our organization or wow. or from other organizations, and so our our primary like job now is to help them figure out how to live in Asia, how to learn the languages that they have to learn, you know, how to you know everything from how do I feed my family to where are my kids going to go to school to I'm really uncomfortable in these huge crowds. How do I deal with that? And so um, that's what we'll continue doing. We've been doing a lot of that, you know, virtually since we're working with Americans. Um, We've been doing a lot of that virtually, getting people prepared. None of them are going either. So there's meetings. In fact, Christy is in a meeting at this very minute uh, with uh, 19 new people who we went and trained and they're just waiting like us to to go over wow and so are these first time people or? yeah these are first time people that okay. are headed over well, that's to a good sign, Asia. right yeah it is they're still they're still coming it's just we got a little bit of a backlog because mm-hmm. no one has been going we're still training them right. so there's going to be a flood when the gates do open so we're excited about that so we will continue to do that from Asia which just being back in our city in our apartment with you know our friends mm-hmm. that's going to be. I think take a little bit of a stress off of not living out of a suitcase or not living with the uncertainty. Right. But then I think our, our frontline job is, is to, you know, do what we can to get the gospel out to people who have never heard and to Mm -hmm. tribes of people who have never heard. That's still our primary focus. Like, because Christy and I are like people call us veterans because we've been there 10 years. It's like, we don't feel like veterans, but we are getting gray hair. And, and so like, that's a sign of honor. Yes, exactly. Um, we, we want to prepare all these new people to do this frontline work, but also we never want to lose touch with, this is what God 
called us to originally. This is what we did our first eight years on the field. And so that's what we are going to do. We're going to go out and talk to our, our national church partners, the Christians who are there. And we're going to encourage them and work with them and see what God's been doing. I know God's been doing a ton of stuff since we've been gone. And so we're we're not going to try to go in and stop that or change that. We're just going to go in and we're going to, you know, let the Lord, uh, you know, teach us what he's been doing and see how we can propel that work forward, as well as work with those national partners on how they can can focus their attention on maybe some some gap areas, some blind areas that they're not seeing. That's that's kind of the role that we serve over there as American frontliners is the nationals that are there who are Christians. It's a small, small percentage, but a small, small percentage of a billion people is a lot of people. Right. And so uh, our main job is to be catalysts, to help them see blind spots, whether through their prejudices or through their traditions or, or you know, just through their... I didn't know that, you know, there were people across the mountain who couldn't understand our language. And so, yeah, help us try to figure out how to reach them. So that's a lot of what Americans do over there at this point with our organization is, you know, you know, there's we raise that awareness with our nationals. And then we just go, of course, in our everyday life, share the gospel with our friends who are unbelieving there, who's, who we've met. Well, I know, I know it's overwhelming thinking of all the people. Right. And all the different types of people and different languages. Just off the top of your head, do you know how many different or about uh, unreached people groups that are close to you guys and in different languages and maybe those untapped peoples Mm -hmm. just close to where you are? Yeah. Um, I I know that with all the different and and we we just to get our mind around it, you're right. The numbers are they will overwhelm you just to get our mind around it. We break them down by like majority religion, Mm. like the majority of this tribe is this religion. And so we've got really three, three non-Christian religions around us. We've got Buddhism, Islam, and Hinduism. And so we break the work down um, between those religions. And so I know that like, in Hinduism, there is there are a ton of people groups just because the caste system has separated people. It's like people that are from this Hindu people group or tribe will not share the gospel with other castes, other tribes that are Hindus as well. And so I know that there are a lot of different tribes of the Hindu religion around us. Our primary focus has been Islam, however. Mm. And so in our area, there are about 25 unreached people groups, unreached tribes of, uh, of whose majority religion is, is Muslim is Islam. And so, uh, that has been our team. Did you say 25, 25 different groups? Yes. Like distinct different groups of Muslims Mm. in that area. And so, and this is 50 million people. Okay. So 25 different tribes, 50 million people that are unreached, meaning, in some groups, there may be believers. There may even be a church in in one of those people groups, one of those tribes. But that church, if if we were to pull out all outside influence and all the national Christians pulled out, the church would most likely go away and just be mm. subsumed back into Islam. And so, yeah, we have twenty five people groups and and fifty million people just that our team focuses upon, our local team. And there's also local teams that focus upon the Hindus or focus upon the Buddhists or focus different geographies. And so uh, yeah, that's that's the task. 
Mm, praise God for you. Yeah. Well, no, no. Praise God for and for, all of the others. Praise God for those national Christians. They're yeah. the one. They're the frontliners. They're they're able to to get places that we could never get. Our biggest part of our task is just to encourage them, help focus them. Man, they're doing they're doing the work. Well, you know, uh, I think you have a little bit of an advantage when they see you. What do people think about you? You know, your country you're from. Whenever you're walking on the street or riding your motorcycle, yeah. what do they they think? Who is this tall guy? Uh, do they know where you're from? Yeah, no, that's a, a big. They're thing. trying to figure you until out until I open my mouth. <laughs> um, and like I said, we live in a little a little village, and so I go to the, the same you know the same stores to buy yeah, my groceries yeah. and the same gas stations and everything. So they've kind of gotten to know me over the ten years that we've lived there. But yeah, that's a that's a problem. I'm Native American, and so <laughs> so the, my skin coloring, my hair coloring, and everything, I. A lot, I look like some of the Asian Asian peoples, and so yeah, they don't know who I am until until I open my mouth or uh, until they see my wife and my kids, well, and they're like, "He's definitely not from around here." That may have saved your life a few times. Yeah, didn't know well, about it. got me out of some some tickets, got yeah. me into some trouble also because they didn't give me the automatic you know American oh, pass. Yeah, yeah, and so, but yeah, then I just have to open my mouth and try to speak their language, and they're like, "This guy is there's uh, something special about him." <laughs> Well, this is exciting, you know, you get and go back and do what God's called you to do for this season of your life. And um, it's just our honor. We get to pray for you and, and your sweet family. And Thank you. Um, you guys just uh, in our hearts and prayers always. And, you know, there's so many people that need the Lord. I was lying in bed last night just thinking about, you know, man, these people, eternity, it, it hangs in the balance. Mm-hmm. And this is what God's called us to do. And yeah. uh what would you say, James, uh, as we get ready to wrap this up, uh, what would you say to the people that are contemplating, you know, how do, how am I, you know, little bitty me, right, living in little bitty Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, I want to impact the nations. I want to uh, be a part of what God's doing here and far. Where do I start? You know, what would you tell those people as they're exploring maybe a call in their life? Yeah. I would say listen to the same message that that maybe God or this is my perspective anyway the the message that God gave me when he first opened my eyes to international missions it was um, you know you don't have to be you know a bible scholar you don't have to be you know the greatest evangelist and able to talk to anyone yeah you don't have to be you know able to climb high mountains or or you know, deep valleys or anything. You just have to be willing. And there is a place where you can help. And, you know, for most Americans, you know, it's not going to be living overseas full time. For most Americans, it's going to be, man, do what you can to encourage someone who is over there, Mm. you know, email them, you know, send them, send them, you know, messages. We have iPhones like like a lot of them, and so we can iMessage back and forth uh, every day if you want to. That's a biggest thing. Is I think a lot of Americans think, well, I don't want to be a bother, or I, I wrote a, a missionary once and they never wrote me back, and so I'm not going to try it again. But I, I will say. I don't know why that missionary didn't write you back, but there are a lot of missionaries who just want to know people are praying for you. And even if they don't answer you, just that email, hey, yeah. I thought about you. I prayed for you this morning. You know, this is what's going on in my life. Because we miss that. We mm-hmm. miss that's the biggest part 
especially uh, even in our age of technology where we could FaceTime with someone every day or Skype them or whatever. It almost makes it worse because you have the ability to. Yeah, but we don't know. Like We come back, and that's what we tell new people coming out because that's the biggest challenge that they face these days is you're going to go overseas for two years or for three years or for four years or for the rest of your life, and everyone back in Mississippi, their life is going to – they can't just – be wondering about you constantly. They are going right. to live their lives. And so when you pop back in in two years or in three years, it's going to be awkward. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that would be a big encouragement that I think everyone could do would be along with just, you know, give to your local church so that gives to the mission board. Um, but, you know, just email back when you get that prayer letter or if you just if they're on your mind, send them a face a private Facebook message or something and and encourage them and tell them that uh, you're thinking about them. And uh, I think that is one of the biggest things that everyone can do. Now, it's kind of like in steps. After that, if you if you are able to, you know, if you have the resources and you're healthy, man, I think every church member should serve somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, we live in one of the hardest areas of the world to get to. You know, it's not super expensive, but it's just, it's not an easy place to live. Right. Take some time to yeah. get there, too. So maybe, maybe... Our area isn't the place for you, but if you feel God wants you to go somewhere, man, there are trips available all over the world, near and far, places you can get in five hours, places that take you 36 hours. Mm. You know, Just pray about it and, and reach out to people and say, how could I serve? What can I do? We have, like our organization and other groups, we have a place for everyone uh, who wants to, who feels compelled, and who's physically able to come to serve. It doesn't, like I said, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. We're not going to put you up in front of 2,000 people preaching if that's not your gifting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're a school teacher, we've got a bunch of school teachers that you can train and form those relationships with. It, it, you know, if you're a construction worker, we, we have something that you can do. You can go help our pastor who has a construction business and give him some advice or or work with him and form a relationship there. So, Whatever you can do, do that. And so that's what the message that the Holy Spirit gave to me back in, you know, 1990, when was that? 1997. Do whatever you can for God's sake. And at that point in my life, it was, I can go for two years. Mm -hmm. And it was during those two years that God said, you could do this the rest of your life. And so that's, uh, by his grace, what I've been able to do. Otherwise, I would just say, you know, if you want to go overseas, you know, Stay out of debt, you know, get some Dave Ramsey or whatever. Stay out of debt, you know. Um, If you feel like God might be having you overseas long term, you don't want to have the burden of a mortgage back in America or car payments back in America. But, you know, do I really need to buy a new car every two years or can I just drive my car that I have that's paid off? Mm -hmm. You know, just being wise about, you know, pragmatically, how can I get overseas, you know, Stay in the word, serve where you are, like outreach that they had at the church here. Just participate in things like that, even if it's not your comfort zone. You know, pray first. And then once you get more comfortable, the Holy Spirit may tell you, just go knock on a door and invite them somewhere. Just serve in all these little ways. You know, help the deacons out. You know, how can I serve in the church? You know, what can I do? Is there a Sunday school class that I can substitute for? Is there yeah. something I can do? Just those small bits of service that will help you as you go overseas and you're you're kind of forced to serve in ways that you're not comfortable in, and the Lord can can 
have grown you already in the years past because of your willingness. Mm. And so um, other than that, just stick in the word, get in the word, because when you get over there and you're helping national Christians think about starting a new church or going to a brand new area, they're going to need to know from the Bible, well, how do I need to do this? What does the Bible say about this? And so we all need to be in the word. But if you're thinking about long-term service, you need to get in the word and make that, you know, part of your life. Mm. That's good. Well, folks, you've heard it. Um, Put in your calendar for January to send a reminding, encouraging, remind yourself to send an encouraging message and to communicate with our friends uh, overseas, not just James and Christy, you know, all the other people that we know, uh, and maybe that you even know separately from our from our church who uh, are laying their lives on the line, uh, really leaving uh, some pleasures of this world, or so to speak, um, to to really follow the Lord. And it's a sacrifice, but I know they would say it's an honor. You know that that they get to be at home uh, serving their people, and also I think we got to send some people, right? We got to send more people. We got to yeah. go. We got to do what it takes. Uh, there's there's no time for excuses. We just got to clear the calendar and and say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Yeah, and how am I going to get there? Yeah, I, I will say the one big way that churches can be involved, like in this church could be involved, is we. The most helpful thing to to us overseas is a church that is consistent. You know, it doesn't have to be like a let's send our church to 10 different places Mm -hmm. and, you know, every year, like one trip a year, like the consistency of I know that this church is going to partner with this this area every year. You know, Mm -hmm. they may come once a year and we don't mean like trips of 20 people. We can't handle that logistically, you know, but trips of two people or trips of three or four people every year, just saying, I know however we can, we're going to, this church is going to be there every year and you're going to form relationships as a church that, you know, if we have to leave the field or if we go to a new work that you'll have relationships with people that are there that we don't have to be there right. and that you're going to keep going to that area and God's going to, uh, you know, I really, I, as I reflect back over 10 years, I may write something on this, just how God reaches a people group through long-term partnerships, mm. through a church or a, a person who's just invested in an area because, you know, Christy and I aren't, aren't always going to be there. Uh, you asked about prayer requests earlier. I can get to that after this answer, but, but, um, we're not always going to be there, but those nationals, they're going to be there. They live there. They're invested there. And so if you can form relationships with the nationals who are Christians, mm. you don't need Christy and I. And that's a less burden on us because we can go do other things while you're working with the partners who are there. Yeah. So, And now definitely when people first come, we're not going to throw them out there with people we don't know or don't trust. We're going to, you know to not in not to be insulting but we're going to hold your hand and we're going to help you feel comfortable in the culture and know what to eat and what not to eat and where to go and where not to go but you know people as the church takes more ownership of of a work mm-hmm. that that blesses our heart more than just about everything well this is exciting uh, you know I was bummed out because I we had the yeah the tickets lined up to go you know I was going to get to go this time and we had uh, three other people who were lined up feeling led of God and we had everything lined up and we're really it's like the next week we're yeah. going to hit the purchase order uh-huh. uh, to get the tickets and then Corona just yeah. bam yeah. And it's a good thing we didn't purchase because we would have lost our money yeah 
So, uh, anyways, but hey, there's always next year, and this, you know, who knows the future, but yeah, th- there's no way that this uh, COVID, we're just going to learn how to deal with it, right? We mm-hmm. have some promising yeah. vaccines on the way, and yeah. um, we're just going to have to adapt and, and see what God's going to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. thank you so much. I mean, we, we love this church. We love you guys. And, you know, we're we're encouraged when we come back here and see uh, First Baptist Bay St. Louis, you know, doing some things, changing some things up. You know, we love what the Lord has done in this church over however many years it's mm-hmm. been here. But we got to we got to try new things, even if they don't work. We got to try right. and fail sometimes because we got to reach these people, you know, around this area. This is one of the this is one of the lighthouses and we can't. We can't just be thinking about ourselves and right. how to maintain. We got to think about expansion. That's right. We got to go fishing, right? That's right. Throw your net on the other side. Uh-huh. And, uh, A way you've never fish. done it before. Yeah. That's right. Well, man, thank you so much for making the time. I know you got a busy week, but no you worries. made the time to be here with us this morning. And, and we're just so humbled by that. And we, we love you guys. And uh, we just thank God for you, for your obedience, for your friendship. Uh, and for just the party that you are. Every time you show up, we just get excited to see you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. We love you guys. Okay, well, until next time, I hope you've learned a little bit about um, James and Christy and their ministry and how you can partner with them and join them, really, uh, holding their arms up through prayer and other ways to encourage them. And at the end of the day, I think James and Christy are simply saying, hey, you can, you can also follow the Lord. You can also do this. You can also be a part of God's global work uh, right where you are. Definitely, so, definitely. Okay. All well, right. that, that's all for this episode. Hope you guys have a great week. This concludes today's episode of Sword and Spirit. If you like this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our future content. Also, be sure to check out our website, fbcbsl.org, for more news and information on everything going on in our church. That's all for today. Until next time, bye.